Welcome to the 212 podcast. We have an episode for you to get into your eardrums every week with a different guest representing the arts and events industry, talking to some of the reasons why we actually get into it. Our next guest is Philip Grafer. He is more connected than a thousand piece Lego set, having links to personalities in the music business across multiple countries, including China and Germany. He is the founder of Wise Festival, the co-founder of Fake Music Media, and has a background in artist management and high-level event experience. Welcome to the show. Uh, how are you and where are you today, Philip? Hey, Daniel. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm in Berlin at the moment, um, and yeah, so far I'm fine. It's uh, sunny outside, uh, although we, have, we are in lockdown again here, um, but yeah, so far so good. I guess let's just start at the beginning, Philip. You, I mean, you, you're in Germany now, but you've got uh, experience working in China, and I think flip between the two. How did you actually get into the events industry at the very beginning, and, and how did it start out for you? Um, well, you know, I guess, um, as so many people, I had a band uh, when I was 16. Um, it was a punk rock band, and we kind of sucked so nobody would let us play and um, then you know we had to organize uh, the concerts that we did ourselves and I was kind of on the at the helm of it um, so I you know I organized that kind of our own concerts uh, in the little town where I grew up in and um, close to Cologne um, in Germany you know and then I, I, I took it from there um, I then I went to study in Cologne and got more uh, involved a little bit with the music industry, also as a journalist. Um, and then I worked at the you know radio station there. First, it was a college radio station, and later I was was working there for the for the biggest broadcaster of Germany and as a freelance journalist. Um, and while I was doing that, I was always like you know doing several events um, for a student body in Cologne. Um, yeah, so like you know step by step, I I, I got into into the events industry and the music business in a way yeah when when was that when did you kind of start to to get into and what was the what was the band called uh, the band was called uh, High Density, um, and uh, yeah, we, we, it was kind of like a band, like uh, you know, um, it was before Green Day, you know. So, yeah. so that's been a while, you know. When <laughs> Green Day came, <laughs> when Green Day came out with, uh, I think, was it the first album, Rookie or Dookie or something like that, and uh, and I think we were like two years before that we started and then yeah of course we we love green day and all this stuff like bad religion was already there and uh, you know legwork and satanic surfers and a lot of west coast punk rock and the swedish punk rock thing uh, was going on um at that time yeah that was kind of our thing what were your influences with with the band i mean you said sweden there but i mean we wouldn't in in england we wouldn't or um, I guess Australia as well, but we wouldn't have had that um, that influence as much maybe as as your connectivity in Germany to uh, Scandinavia. Is there quite a heavy influence from Scandinavian rock or? Um, well, generally, I think at that time there was quite a quite a bit of stuff going on there. You know, uh, that specific uh, record label that we all loved at that time was called Burning Heart. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we couldn't really, we thought all oh, it's kind of West Coast punk rock, you know, but at the, at the same time, we couldn't really, uh, I mean, at, at least me, I was not really uh, aware that this stuff is from Sweden and, you know, that stuff is from the US or so. So um, that was just, just something that I learned later. Now out of, out of uh, Scandinavia, um, I think what is most well known for at the moment is kind of like more like 
really poppy stuff, you know, uh, electro pop and stuff like that. Um, and uh, of course, you know, they're still like, they still have a big rock influence, I guess, but um, it's not so pervasive anymore, I think, and at least not in my life. You've got a heavy background in artist management um, and uh, music specifically. What was the kind of major breakthrough for you within that scene? Like when you knew that you were you were managing great people or you had a, a really good thing going? Well, you know, I, I mean, I started um, while in university. A friend of mine uh, was asking me like, hey, you know, we have this band. It's kind of more like an electro clash band something like that it's called Malk um, and he he asked me hey um, would you mind managing us and I was like okay I have no idea about how that works but I just like you know go with the flow because I you know I was working as a journalist um, and I um, you know interviewed a lot of kind of high level people and new people in the industry and so um, you know we just uh, you know I just did the first step as as the manager of this band. Uh, unfortunately, as uh, so often with bands, uh, they disbanded uh, quite quickly. And um, at that time, you know, I was already going back and forth to China. That was like uh, 2007, you know, 2007, I went the first time to China. And, uh, and then in 2008, um, when I toured my first uh, German band in China uh, at that time, as um, I uh, met Helen and uh, Helen became my partner in crime and uh, she had a band at that time uh, called uh, Pet Conspiracy and then I started managing her band and that later became Nova Heart and uh, yeah both bands were quite successful. Pet Conspiracy was quite successful in China but also outside of China one of the first um, you know Chinese bands at that time touring internationally especially in Europe. And um, yeah, so I got got really, I mean, into a little bit higher level managing uh, bands in in China, uh, weirdly, you know. <laughs> was it was it because they had a scene there or? Yeah, you know, it's it's very interesting because in 2007, so I, you know, I just graduated, right, um, from Cologne University and I studied Latin American studies, so something completely different. Um, but I studied in Cologne and in San Diego. And in San Diego, uh, back then, I was kind of blown away that at the university where I was um, doing some research at uh, UCSD in San Diego, um, you know, half of the people were Asian. And I was like, oh, wow, uh, you know, where are they coming from? And uh, are they, you know, are they Korean? Are they Chinese? Are they Japanese? I really had no idea, right? Germany is far away from Asia. And uh, I studied Latin American studies, so I could get high five to like all my Mexican friends or to my, you know, my Argentinians or whatever, but I had no idea about Asia. So that triggered my interest. And then when I was back in Cologne, um, you know, my student body organized a um, an event uh, about the relationship between China and Latin America. And I got involved in that as well. Uh, organizing that and then I, I heard uh, about uh, this festival uh, that was happening in China in 2007 called MIDI Festival um, and at the same time I had a little bit of an academic interest in China uh, I wanted to do like a PhD about you know China Latin American relations um, because that's what I found out in, in, in San Diego um, also working with uh, an ex 
US ambassador to Mexico, Davidov, who was like a very high ranking ambassador. So this, you know, so all came together somehow my interest uh, in, in, in China uh, and um, in the music industry over there. And at the same time, in 2008, there was the Olympics in China. So everybody was talking about China, but nobody knew anything about it, and especially not about the music industry and about music. Um, so, you know, I just, just took a chance, went there in 2007 and got to this festival, right? And it just blew my mind um, because it was just not what you would expect from China. I mean, I didn't expect very much, you know, but, uh, you know, I had no really uh, like an image in my head how China would look like. But at the same time, this was definitely not how I imagined it. Um, and it was like, you know, it was, it was like a huge festival, maybe, you know, 30,000 people or so in a, in a park. Uh, MIDI festival. M-I-D-I, yeah, MIDI festival. Yeah. It was a park uh, in, in uh, Beijing, uh, kind of still in the center of Beijing, which is not possible anymore. Um, and, you know, they had like a... a I don't know, maybe five, six stages, you know, there was a hip hop stage, which I later learned was like one of the first hip hop stages uh, ever uh, in in China, uh, which was no surprise in the end because it was one of the first festivals, <laughs> you know, anyway. Um, but it, its main focus was on rock music, you know, like really uh, all kinds of rock, you know, like uh, heavy metal, um, like indie stuff, um, but usually more the, the harder kind of stuff and there were like punk rockers running around with heroes you know and uh and somebody even got naked there and then was uh, you know chased a little bit by the police but it all had kind of a very liberal vibe to it and um yeah i was you know i was really surprised and uh, quite enjoyed it frankly you mentioned uh, midi festival and i think you, you were talking about the the chinese uh, the, the china olympics as well did you work at the china olympics or did you see the olympics um, yeah, I saw the Olympics. Um, I didn't work there, but I was there. Um, so Helen, um, you know, who was my partner in fake music media, um, she worked actually there also as a, um, I think at that time she was a radio show host and also like an MTV uh, VJ. But at this time she was working as a, as a fixer for NBC. So yeah, it was quite interesting. I, uh, I saw quite a lot of the Olympics, in, including the opening, not the opening ceremony, as in I was not like at the opening ceremony, but um, there was like these huge fireworks, uh, these footprints um, going to the stadium. And it's kind of funny because I just saw a documentary about Tsai Guoxiang, which is like a really huge Chinese artist on Netflix. It's called The Sky Ladder. I can highly recommend these, uh, the, this documentary. And uh, Nova Heart, the band of, of Helen, has like a has like a song in that documentary so you know I, I just saw it like you know more than than 10 years later these uh, these these footprints you know these these firework footprints going to the stadium again and it was like super impressive i mean it was just crazy you know and all the vibe there um it was uh, yeah it was a it was a big party at uh, and and it was was just really highly interesting also very you know politically very very interesting how the world reacted how china was reacting to the world um very exciting times yes what's the major difference between germany and china you know managing events uh, going to events you know cultural differences what can you see as the ma- uh, the major differences I mean, I would say that the way of planning things, you know, 
Um, I mean, you know, the German cliche obviously is like if you plan uh, ahead like three years or something like that, right? Um, and that's just not possible in China. Um, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to to plan half a year ahead, you know, uh, because there's always something that's um, that's that's changing. China is changing so rapidly, and also um, it's very much. Um, um, you know, it, it also depends on, on, on so many political stuff that is happening, you know, also big political events, for example. So if there's like a big Congress um, of, of the Communist Party um, happening during or around your event, then, you know, maybe uh, you, you will have a problem that, you know, you cannot do an event at that time. But that you sometimes don't know um, half a year in advance or so, you know, so you, it's just hard to, hard to plan around that. And you wouldn't Plus, get that in Germany? No, 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 you wouldn't get that in Germany. I mean, you know, if there's a G20 or something like that, you know, then, uh, of course, but then you also know that it's, it's there for at least a year in advance, right? So you won't, wouldn't, um, you know, you would not even be, it would not even be possible for you to, to, to get a license for that event, right? Um, but in China, everything is like super last minute. But it's also quite interesting that, you know, uh, coming in there as, you know, especially as a German, you're like, oh, how, this, this is never going to happen. You know, this is this will never going to work. And then in the end, the event always works, you know, um, because everything is coming really together last minute um, while the planning phase is, is sometimes super, super, uh, super short. Um, this is, yeah, this is quite impressive. Are you talking about the uh, the, the long term planning and, and the efficiencies of, of I guess Germans, um, which is something that is associated with Germans, is their efficiency? Uh, that must have been kind of a cultural shock for you when you did move over to China to kind of not get so frustrated. Uh, I imagine it would be frustrating at times. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was like highly frustrating. Um, but you know, I, I I I think that's something that I definitely learned in China. You know, being flexible and uh, that things work uh, can work in another way than I was um, you know I was used to. So uh, and it works. You know, that's 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 the beauty of it. Um, it's it's you know it's just like two different ways of organizing things, but both work. You know. Um, and uh, this is something that I had to had to learn, and also not to be arrogant about, right? It's just like totally totally different styles. Um, but you know, it's it's uh, China is is highly successful in what it's doing, right? So um, you know, I cannot say that um, how they deal with things is is worse than what what we are doing. You know, what we are used to. And you you must be must have kind of you must be used to it. By now as well. You've how long have you lived there for, Philip? Um, yeah, I so I moved there in two thousand nine, so a little bit more than a decade. You, you're you're fully immersed. I think ten years is quite a significantly a significant amount of time to be immersed in in the culture. Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, I um, I know a little bit about China, but you know, as as the saying goes, you know, you um, you're in China for one week and you can write a book about it, and after like ten years, you don't even know um, you know where to where to start anymore because it's a very huge country and um, it's very complex, and uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say I understand China because I think not even the Chinese understand China, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I, I I I definitely I definitely know a little bit, right? so um, rapidly evolving as well yeah exactly that's another thing that uh, the china 
I used to, you know, I used to see when I came in 2007 as a completely different China than which is which it is now, right? I, I think even even five years ago or even three years ago, it's a, it's a different country. You know, I think that's also something to keep in mind for people that might have visited China like a couple of years ago and say like, yeah, yeah, I kind of know how it's how it's looking. No, you have no idea, I think, you know, because <laughs> it has completely changed. And even for Chinese people that studied overseas, you know, and then coming back, they like, wow, this is not the China that I've left, right? So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really changing rapidly. And you being um, in, in China um, for the last 10 years, you decided to uh, set up your own um, festival that you're, a founder of, you're the founder of, which is Wise Festival. Where did the idea come from? Where is actually Wise Festival and what, what's it about? Yeah, you know, as, as I said, um, my background um, for the last, uh, you know, more than 10 years uh, is mainly the music industry and also a bit of journalism. Um, and I'm also very interested in, you know, in the politics of, uh, of, of it all, especially in China, because, you know, you cannot separate politics from anything uh, that's, uh, that's happening in China. Um, but at the same time, China has grew so rapidly and, and advanced so rapidly in technology. And my idea was uh, for WISE was a little bit to, to bring together like what I've learned in the music industry and with, you know, with other creative industries and, uh, you know, the, being surrounded always by creative people, which is highly rewarding. And at the same time, see, uh, seeing what's happening on the, on the technology side and then trying to bring, you know, these two worlds together um, and, you know, see what's coming out of it. Um, you know, I always, I always believe that if, 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 you know, different, different worlds come together and different people come together from different backgrounds, then something amazing can happen. And that's a little bit of the idea of WISE. On the one hand, on the other hand, it's also, um, you know, connecting obviously China with the rest of the world, or, you know, I'm always trying to, you know, when, when people look from the outside to China, they always also think about Asia, you know, so I'm trying to integrate Asia as well. And, and, you know, to have a, to have basically conversation, what's going on between China, Asia, and, uh, you know, the, the West, as, uh, if you want to say it like that, right. So that was a bit of the idea of the festival. And where is it based? It's based in Beijing. So I, it started in 2018 as just like a one day conference. Um, then in 2019, uh, so just like last year, it um, it grew to like a two-day conference plus um, uh, like we had some concerts at night, uh, two two concerts. So it's you know not huge yet um, with the Reeperbahn Festival as a partner coming in from from Germany. The for the listeners uh, that might don't know, it's like a Reeperbahn Festival is kind of the biggest or one of the biggest um, music industry festivals in Europe. Um, so they came in as a partner. And um, then we also had some club nights. And yeah, 2020 was, you know, a, a weird year. So um, it happened, um, it, you know, it was supposed to happen in, in, in Beijing. But um, yeah, because of, the, of what happened uh, with the world and with COVID, um, we first had to postpone it. And then um, it happened in various cities in, in China, as well as in Berlin, where I'm based right now. So we had uh, basically um, people from the music industry coming together in, um, in Beijing and in Shanghai and meeting uh, online people from the music industry, from the European music industry, 
who were gathering in 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 uh, in Berlin. At the same time, we had like a two-day uh, online conference, um, you know, about music, but also about uh, technologies like virtual reality. Um, and then we had, uh, um, and then we had like club nights because uh, not sure if everybody knows already, but like in China is kind of open now again, so people can you know party and uh, and go to events. So we had like a club night in Shanghai. Chengdu as well. Um, so if you ask me where it happened, it happened uh, mainly in China and Berlin uh, as in a decentralized fashion in a way and also online and um, a little bit in virtual reality as well. Yeah. But I guess that ties in with, with the actual ethos of the festival. The festival is about technology and, and you've managed to come together remotely. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I always say like, you know, WISE should be like, a, you know, a future festival in a way. And I was really thinking hard uh, in March when the first lockdown came, um, what uh, what it means to be a future festival or future event in in times of these, and also uh, after after COVID is over, right? Um, we're always talking about climate change and all these kind of things. So how does it change? You know, what can we as an industry do to uh, you know have a positive impact uh, in a way? You know, that's. I even wrote an article about it on, on my website, uh, the WISE website, uh, wisenotwise.com. So you can check it out there. What was the main take home from, from, from that? Your, the studying that you've, that you've done is, is how, how, can, how is technology going to affect the events industry and how can we move with it? You know, I, I think what the events industry is, is mainly about is like bringing people together, right? So if you think about that, um, and as we... As we know that, um, you know, with COVID now, that it's like, you know, being together is like a privilege, uh, right? It's, it's, it's not a given. It's, um, it's like, uh, hey, being physical together with people uh, is an amazing experience that nothing can, um, you know, th there's, there, there's no uh, substitute for it at the moment. You know, we can not have a Zoom conference and say it's, it's the same thing as being in, in, in a room together. But I think as technologies uh, evolve, and especially, you know, virtual reality and maybe also augmented reality, um, I think you will be then able to feel closer to that experience in being in the same room together with, with, with people. And that will change the events industry, I think. And um, that will also maybe change that in a way that we don't, don't travel as much anymore, you know. I think... Anyway, after after this is over, um, I think people m might think twice before they travel again. Um, of course, there will be like a lot of traveling going on, but uh, but I think you know we it already changed a little bit in the minds of people that you don't need to travel all the time for everything, you know. Um, and with technology, that will have a huge impact on it. Do you think that there'll be more kind of half and half? Like, I mean, people will need to be physically there, but there might be some some virtual uh, virtual events as well. Yes, totally. And uh, I think there will be always a virtual part to the physical event as well. You know, so you can, for example, choose: um, Do you want to be there in person, or is it okay for me to just like you know to um, to just be there in uh, you know do some networking online? You know, but I think. It's also so far I haven't seen 
uh, tons. You know, there's some some um, some interesting aspects to it, but I haven't seen like tons of uh, of interesting ideas how to get uh, get people together remotely. You know, but I think that has also to do, as I said, like with the technology, because the technology is not there yet. But I think within the next five or ten years, we will see a huge, you know, huge change in that. Also with 5G coming, you know, um, the, the 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 lack of uh, of communication um, will be will be less and so on. So this is, you know, it's just a super exciting space space to watch. Yeah, Wise Festival and it being more uh, remote, you probably you you're probably more of like a pioneer in that way. Uh, yes, probably. You know, it's it's quite funny that um, you know. I, I again, I call it like decentralized festival. You know, how to bring um, people together locally, but also connect them globally. You know, that's 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 the challenge of it. Um, but you know, people came together in Berlin, and people came together in China, um, and they connected. Um, of course, you know, this was just like um, done out of necessity in a way. But I. I, I like that concept in a way, and I would like to explore it more and see how how we can learn from it and how we can improve this kind of concept. Because in the end, only one person uh, took a flight, which was like a you know a DJ flying from Shanghai to Chengdu because it was a bit too far to to take a train. But um, you know, it, it is it is definitely an interesting concept. To, to think about. At the same time, you know, I organized the whole thing from Berlin um, with teams in China, and I could only do so because I was like traveling like crazy around the world before, you know, in, in the last 10 years. And uh, and I know all these people face to face. And uh, I think it will be a little bit harder to do this kind of event if you have not this kind of personal network. Um, but again, you know, technology might change that in the future. You said there that the with the technology that um, it's it's possibly not quite there yet to fully have that immersive experience virtually. Um, what do you think the the next steps are in terms of future technology to to kind of make that um, happen? You mentioned or, or, you know AR and VR with with augmented reality and virtual reality. How do you think that's gonna um, how is how is that going to affect events in the future? Yeah, I think, I mean, I know a little bit uh, more about uh, virtual reality than uh, AR. Um, so, you know, I experimented quite a lot with it. And uh, if you go in there, I mean, one thing that is not amazing yet is obviously the graphics of it. Um, I, I, and I just used an Oculus uh, Quest, you know, so it's not like uh, I didn't have it connected to, uh, to a PC. Um, which gives you better graphics, but at the same time is, is even more clunky than it is uh, now. Um, so, you know, you go in there, uh, you're in, in virtual reality, and then you can meet actually friends, right? You can meet, it at, uh, you can meet them at a game, you can meet them in a room. Um, but the problem is that you don't really see them, you see an avatar, right? Um, so you might just talk to a pink elephant or something like that, which is, uh, you know, which can be fun and it's a different experience. But what you really would like to do is like, you know, speak to your friend or to your business associate or whatever face to face and see his facial expressions, you know, because that's also what we learned, um, you know, during COVID uh, uh, latest that the facial expression, you know, conveys so much information and also your voice conveys so much information. Right. So I think once once you once the technology is there that you really can see your friend or your business associate in that, uh, you know, like, like as if it would be a real person. 
and you can scale that you know you can be in a room not only with uh, 20 or 30 people which is usually the case at the moment but like um with 100 people you know um then you know it's it, it will be very similar to like a to like a real experience right because you are there you are present and you see you know your um you, you know your friend um like he is in real life uh i think and and th i don't think we are that far away from that yet. and i guess that means that opens the door for for having uh, you know different people because you can have the opportunity to to have different speakers or different artists or different talent um because they can be there virtually yes totally i mean then of course you know it's another uh, another question how to uh, to do like a proper concert or like a proper dj set in um in virtual reality which is another challenge but you know it it it, it, it will come i think and um also it's quite interesting because i you know i talk, talk with a lot of artists and i'm you know during this time i'm asking them so what are you missing the most and a lot of times it's uh, it's it's being in front of an audience that actually reacts to you right um i was even thinking about um virtual reality uh can even give you like a virtual audience you know that might react to you um even if this audience is totally just virtual and it's not even there right but you could just play a song for example and then you get applause and like you know maybe there's an ai virtual audience um that that gives you this feedback that you that that artists really crave um and then if if that is the case hey maybe then everybody can actually be an artist and have an audience um that you know applauds to you and that's just another crazy stuff to think about right well i guess you see that with youtubers don't you you know youtubers have all of their virtual uh guests yes yeah but it's different because you know the ver the, the youtuber started as a youtuber right uh, most of the time, you know, it's 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 a very different being a YouTuber and being a, an online streamer, like as a having that as a profession, than being a performing artist who's like um, used to be on stage uh, and having uh, and having feedback from a real audience, uh, and then that that real artist goes uh, back to YouTube and then plays, uh, you know, to YouTube because um, the real audience is not there anymore. So it's not like you know that this artist chose to be like a youtuber it's just like more a necessity than um, something that the artist chose to be you know because artists usually like to be on stage or like you know they they enjoy that yeah if you could um, if you could have anyone um, speak at wise or anyone perform or or uh, any guest on on the stage who would who would you have who's your uh, <laughs> the best person you would love to have on there um i think you will know harari I think is uh, you know the guy who who wrote um, Homo Deus and uh, Homo Sapiens as well or Sapiens. Um, I mean, I really like his thinking. He's one of the smartest guys always. You know, when I when I when I when I uh, listen to him, uh, he's quite an amazing uh, speaker and, and and thinker. So I think I would have him. Um, of course, you know, like people like Elon Musk or whatever, you know, they're like, uh, they're, they're very entertaining and also very smart. Um, it's always would definitely also be very interesting to have him. And I would like actually have to have uh, Elon Musk with uh, with Grimes, which she's called, She I think she renamed herself into C now or so. But like, uh, it could be a good pairing, you know, to have them 
on stage together. <laughs> that would be pretty amazing. Also, pretty amazing yeah. mix. Yeah. Um, and Yuval Noah Harari, obviously, he he is cha- he changes his opinions as time goes on. So he, he's constantly learning. He's that kind of autodidact. You know, he's learning the information, and then he's changing his mind in some ways as well. He's not rigid in his his thought process. He does kind of bend and flex uh, as he's learning. Yeah, totally. I think. I mean, that's um, you know, that's what we all should do obviously right if you say something today which is has different information than uh, what's happening tomorrow then uh, you should also be flexible enough to 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 take the new information in and then then change your opinion right i don't think everyone does that but it, it's 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 probably True, yeah. how we should be yeah yeah totally i mean that's another thing right wise i always say like it's uh, it's like how we how we will and should live in the future right because uh, because we really sh- should sometimes also think about like how we want to live, you know, how we should live, you know, not not only be, um, you know, just run to something that we don't even want to be, right? Uh, I mean, the whole AI stuff and the whole digitalization stuff, um, we really have to take a break sometime and, and think about what of this stuff do we actually want and what of the stuff is maybe not necessary and uh you know what of the stuff is inevitable you know sometimes you have to just like also stop which is you know now it's a good time to reflect on on all that being in china as well you must be seeing the influence of uh western culture as well it's it's people have their individuality in different countries but then um, everything's becoming more accessible, so it becomes a lot easier to to have an influence from outside as well. Um, yes and no, right? I mean, the the biggest shield that China has, obviously, is like the you know the the, the Great Firewall. Um, so there's really a world um, inside China, like uh, inside the Great Firewall, and in and in a world outside China. But at the same time. I think maybe even more important than the Great Firewall is like the language, right? Um, while there's like a lot of people that speak English in China, it's, you know, because China is such a huge country and there's so many people, uh, it's by far not the majority of those 1.4 billion people, right? So um, to to really get a grasp what's happening in China and, and uh, also for the Chinese uh, to see what's going on outside, you know, it's, it, it, there's a big language barrier. Um, so of course, China, you know, if, if you, if you, uh, look at it now and you go back 30, 40 years ago, uh, it of course looks much more Western, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is its own, it's its own thing, right? It's not like what a lot of, especially from the U S uh, government also thought like, you know, let's, let's bring them all, you know, this, our beautiful capitalism and then they will change completely their mind about how they want to live. Uh, that it hasn't really changed, you know, the political um, political system while adapting, you know, hasn't fundamentally changed. You know, there's still one party rules them all um, kind of thing going on. Um, but, you know, it, it is, you know, it, it is also a little bit democratic in a way as like the, the government has like very... Um, interesting ways of monitoring its its populace, basically, and also reacting to what the what the people want, right? It's not like 
it's 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 of course it's a top-down approach but like it's not like just um you know giving people uh you know this eat this or you know take this or, or leave it it's also like there is a feedback loop from from below right that that shows the government oh okay you know the, there's more and more people that are not happy about the environment you know so we really need to ch uh, do something about that um and and so on right so that's what's the what's the music scene like the the chinese music scene well you know um it has also evolved quite dramatically um it, you know back in 2007 it was like kind of a little bit the renaissance of like um, a new indie scene, I would say. So like a lot of indie bands came out um, uh, playing in small clubs. But, you know, all these all these bands, you know, they, they, they didn't earn anything, basically. You know, they just did it for fun. Um, and there was not a big infrastructure. There was definitely no indie music business. The only music business that existed was really like, you know, um, Mando and Kanto Pop at that time and TV shows and talent shows and stuff like that. Um, but really no underground scene. And that has changed, you know. Um, now, actually, these a lot of these bands that I know from, from like, you know, 10 years ago or so, uh, they are on TV as we speak, and they became really massive in China. Um, and also, you know, the electronic music scene, for example, uh, while it started... You know, maybe in the mid-90s, slowly, in, the, in 1997, there was, like, the first big rave um, at, the, at, the great, at the Great Wall. Um, it really didn't took off, right? When I came in 2007, there, was a, there were a couple of DJs, right, playing mostly techno in, on the underground space, in the underground space. But um, I brought, I, I remember I brought, like, Holy Ghost, you know, this kind of new disco duo from DFA, from New York um, to China in in 2010 and and I didn't have anybody to open for them because nobody was would play like no new disco you know so I just did it myself at that time and now you know tons of people would play that and there's tons of DJs then hip-hop became a really huge like three I think three years ago now um, also with a with a TV program you know so it was always kind of bubbling a little bit in the underground but very 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 underground and then with a TV show, it just exploded. So hip hop is really big right now. The kind of rock scene has a renaissance to these uh, TV shows. And um, there's like, you know, on the electronic music side, you have like kind of the underground and then the big kind of EDM stuff came also in, um, starting about, you know, 2013 with the first festivals. I mean, it was there before, but like, you know, 2013, 14, about where like the first big EDM festivals coming into China. And uh, it also has grown, but although it has a little bit stagnated maybe at the moment. But yeah, I mean, there's really, now China has kind of everything, uh, music genre-wise, um, but it's still, you know, it's still building infrastructure. You know, you have like a lot of smaller clubs. First, it was just Beijing, Shanghai. Um, then, you know, all these other uh, second-tier cities, you know, Chengdu, uh, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Hangzhou, um, you know, they build like, you know, venues as well, but like usually smaller ones or like, you know, then you have like kind of stadium size venues, but like this in, in you know, in the mid tier, like 2000 capacity venues or so, it's, it's still, it still lacks a lot of, of those kind of types of venues in, in China. Yeah. So electronic, electronic and hip hop is the 
music of, of choice. Yeah, and as I said, like rock, I think it's still like big, you know, India, the, the indie rock kind of uh, things that, that came back through the TV show. It's, it's, it's quite big right now. Um, but it's really diverse, I would say, you know, like uh, people now, like I, from what I heard from my, from my colleagues back in China, it's really booming now. And there's like just so many shows of all kinds of genres going on. People really just love to go out um, and see different stuff. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what the actual uh, hip hop scene is like there, because I guess you've got the rap influences that that appeared in the UK with grime. You you obviously had the West Coast, East Coast um, rap with uh, rap and hip hop in in America, and obviously Germany has their own. You know, Paul Savas and um, you know Spain has their own as well. So I guess it would look really different in comparison to the other hip hop of the world. Yes, I th I mean, of course, uh, China always looks to the US, you know, especially also for hip hop. Um, but, you know, the, the, the history of hip hop or so, you know, and also there's this whole, you know, it comes from, you know, basically black people, right? I mean, this whole thing um, is not very well understood in China. And, uh, you know, things like cultural appropriation, uh, I mean, nobody really uh, even thinks about that, right? Um, uh, but definitely, you know, the, the, the bands coming out of China, um, they look towards the U.S. mostly for hip hop. Um, and I don't think that any uh, I mean, maybe there's like a super small niche for, for grime and some people uh, people know about it, but uh, probably not not too many. And uh, definitely, definitely no German gangster rap <laughs> 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 either, you know, so what's yeah. the what's the kind of biggest challenges you faced working in China and, and in the music industry specifically? Well, first, I mean, I guess first there, there was no music industry. That was the first challenge. So we were, we were just basically building it while, while going along, you know, uh, building those structures. Um, I think uh, that, was, uh, that was a problem. And then also that, you know, it's, as I said before, it's incredibly hard to plan anything. Um, so it, it, it's very opportunistic in a way, you know, it's like, okay, something comes over there. Okay, let's just take it, you know, because we don't know if it's going to be there tomorrow or like how, it, how it's going to evolve. These kind of things, uh, you know, can be, a, can be a bit frustrating and, uh, you know, always be the, the, the translator in between, you know, the Western um, you know, music industry and, and, and the Chinese one was also uh, quite difficult. And also from the, from the Western perspective, uh, it was really just one-sided, right? Like everybody from the West just wanted to, to, to bring people into China and wanted to profit from the Chinese market. But, you know, nobody would want to take stuff out of it. Um, while that's happening actually uh, now. Uh, you think that's changing now? Yeah, it's changing a little bit, you know, definitely. Um, people are looking a little bit more into like, okay, what can we, uh, you know, what can we take out of China? Uh, but not, I mean, you know, still not, not massively. I think still it's, it's, it's more like, okay, what can China bring us instead of like, you know, what we can bring to China. This, the, 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 the spirit of exchange, it has gotten better, but it's still not there yet. But I mean, it also was very interesting, you know, for example, for Australia, um, Nova Heart, uh, you know, was, was touring in Australia in 2015. And even at that time, it was like one of the first Chinese bands touring there. And I think it was like the first ever band on, um, you know, on Triple J getting an interview 
um, by what was this big uh, Triple J personality? Um, his name uh, Richard Richard Kingsmill, right? Yeah, Richard Kingsmill. Mm. Yeah, so he interviewed Nova Hart, and that was like a total rarity uh, back in 2015. I guess um, since then, a few Chinese bands, you know, more Chinese bands have probably toured in in uh, in Australia and have maybe also had interviews on, on Triple J or so on. But like, um, yeah, you know, you can see that's just five years ago, right? <laughs> Does it help that they that Nova Hart speak English as well? I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, um, Helen is definitely a great person to interview. She also like, you know, uh, every interview is different and she has very strong opinions as well. So on, on, on that on that side, it's um, yeah, she's uh, she's she's brilliant. Yeah. And um, why do you think people get into the industry? Yeah. <laughs> Um, because of passion, you know, mostly, I mean, what else, uh, what else should be there? Right. I mean, you don't necessarily go in there for the money. Uh, it's not the first thing that you think about, although you can obviously earn uh, quite a lot of money as well, but like, it's, uh, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's exciting, right. It's, um, you know, maybe in the beginning you want to be close to the stars or so, uh, it's, it's just an interesting world, you know, it's also, maybe it's a bit rebellious as well still, you know. Um, I guess and there's, that, and there's the, that punk music coming out of you as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, in that, in that. I mean, you know, also, I mean, for me, uh, actually, I think, I mean, for me personally, not not everybody's like that, but um, I always loved uh, to combine music with traveling. You know, so I mean, I really traveled extensively, and um, and I also saw a lot of different cultures, and like also seeing these these different cultures through the lens of people that actually live in those cultures and not as a tourist right is something that really was attractive to me and you know i brought for example you know one of the weirdest things i've ever done was like bringing nova Hart to madagascar you know so like bringing a chinese band to madagascar i mean even bringing a western band to madagascar would be like weird but like bringing a chinese band to madagascar was just like such an incredible experience you know how did that um, go down oh actually it has a it has a um has somehow an Australian component to it. No, I, you know, I know. I think it was um, um, we got invited to Reunion Island, which is next to Madagascar, but which is French territory. Um, uh, so you know, it was more like a French industry kind of thing. And then we went there, and uh, yeah, so that's actually where where Nova Heart got booked for the first time to Australia. Um, to the um, what's the festival Wood Wood Woodward or something like that in 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 uh, I forgot the name um, something with wood I think uh, close to Brisbane um, um, and uh, yeah somebody um, somebody saw Nova Heart playing at that festival as well in Reunion Island which was one of the best showcase festivals I've ever been to because there was just only two stages right and all the music industry people in between and there was like just like you know one uh, one act playing and then stopping and then the other act playing on the other stage and most of these bands playing they were like African and you know there was a lot of great bands but after like the six uh, African band playing there it, it sounded a little bit similar you know um so people got a little bit tired maybe of it and then there was nova heart which was this crazy chinese band and nobody you know um would expect such a show from uh, from a chinese band and uh, you know it just blew people's minds and then um 
I guess people from Madagascar saw saw Nova Heart playing there, and um, yeah, we also got like the first Australian tour out of it. So it was a pretty nice nice festival. Yeah, amazing. Saki Four. It's called Saki Four. Uh, I have to I have to give props out to Saki Four Festival. Yeah, and that's in Madagascar. Nice. No, that was in Reunion Island. But oh, that's Madag in Reunion. Island. Yeah, the Madagascar Festival. I think it only happened once or twice. Um, it was also yeah, actually also kind of an interesting political background there because. Um, you know, Madagascar doesn't have a lot of money and there's not a lot of like uh, a cultural money uh, floating in from elsewhere. So the guy who invited us, um, a, a very interesting, uh, very interesting guy, he, he, he thought like, you know, because Madagascar was a, was a former French colony. So he approached people from, from the French side to give him a little bit of money to help with bringing French uh, people over to, to Madagascar and, and they would, they, they refused. And uh, then he tried to get like, uh, you know, money from other people from the US embassy. They have a huge US embassy on the, on, on Madagascar as well. And then after a while he was like, okay, nobody gives me any money here. So I'll just, uh, I'll just like, you know, uh, choose the headliner myself. And I think, you know, Noah Hart was a great band. I saw them at, at Reunion Island. So I will do like a Chinese headliner, you know? <laughs> Philip, we're coming to the end of the um, podcast uh, episode now. Um, and I just, uh, one of the last things I just wanted to ask is is kind of where you would like to see Wise Festival in the future and, and how you would like to see it. What, what's your kind of vision for, for the future for it? Well, I mean, f first off, I would like to involve um, people from from more parts of the world, um, and I really like this idea of a, of doing a decentralized festival, you know, where people still come together uh, locally, and of course, you know, some people will probably travel uh, internationally and also want to want to see what's going on in China, like physically, but really, like um, you know, trying something, try, trying out something new with new technology, and as the technology goes on, like really. Um, you know, really connecting uh, people around the world um, across, you know, multiple industries, um, you know, in, in that way. I think that's that's kind of the vision that I have. And uh, hopefully coming up, um, you know, bringing people together uh, in a way that they come up themselves with great ideas how to how to, you know, it sounds a bit cheesy, but how to how to make the future like, you know, more livable and a better place in a way. That's a pretty good way to, to, to end. But um, um, Philip Grafer, it's um, been great having you on and um, we really wish you the best of luck um, with the festival in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much, Daniel.